A few minutes ago, we sang an unfamiliar hymn called All Earth is Waiting. We chose it a few weeks ago because the words are so appropriate for Advent. Uh, but now, this week, it's become even more appropriate as we're winded, reminded once more that the world we live in is longing to be made new, that all the earth is waiting to be made new. All creation is longing to be part of the new creation. I want to be clear from the beginning of the sermon today that part of the sermon is about judgment, but I am in no way implying that natural disasters such as tornadoes are a part of God's judgment on the earth. Uh, This was a horrible event in Kentucky's history uh, that causes us to grieve together. Along with creation, we are longing for the Lord to come and make us new. And so we grieve along with the people in western Kentucky and and a few other states as well as we process this this horrible tragedy that has occurred. It's, It's appropriate at Advent to take time to acknowledge times like this of grief, times of darkness, as we will talk about a little bit more in just a moment. There's a prayer in our United Methodist hymnal that caught my eye uh, this week as we were planning worship. I suggested that we uh, include it in part of the service, and Sarah said, actually, it caught her eye too. Uh, The chancel choir will be using it uh, in their service next week as well. Uh, but, But listen to this prayer that's in our hymnal that's very appropriate at Advent. Merciful God, you sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation. Give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may celebrate aright the commemoration of the Nativity and may await with joy the coming in glory of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I love that Advent prayer, and specifically the line that says that we may await with joy. This is an Advent theme that will connect to the scripture I'm going to read in just a moment. Before we dive into that scripture for this morning, I'd like to share with you some news that many of you already know, but perhaps not everyone. Uh, My family is currently awaiting with joy the arrival of a new baby daughter that will be here in February. So I wanted to to let you all know that that is coming. We're very excited, and it is appropriate to to think about things like that during Advent as we talk about preparing and waiting and expectations. Our scripture this morning is from the much-beloved book of Zephaniah. I know all of you have been reading it this week to to get in the Advent spirit. Uh, Zephaniah is actually often read during Advent, or it's prescribed by liturgies to be read during Advent, sometimes skipped over by churches who would prefer to move on to other themes. Uh, But our scripture for this morning is going to come from chapter 3 of Zephaniah. We will um, go backwards a little bit and look at some other verses from previous chapters But hear now God's word from Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. 
Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in His love. He will exult over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all your oppressors at that time. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home. At that time, when I gather you. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. A few years ago, I began an Advent sermon by detailing how the painted turtle survives the the frigid months when ponds freeze over. And it survives by diving down to the deep, settling down and being absolutely still throughout winter. And the pond freezes over, the turtle slows its heart rate to where it's barely beating at all and doesn't move for months until the pond thaws and it can come up and breathe again. This year, I want to tell you about the wood frog. I sat amazed in my office as I read about how wood frogs in Alaska and Canada survive this time of year. You're not going to believe this. As temperatures drop, wood frogs release glucose into their body to prevent internal frostbite, to prevent cells in their body from completely freezing. Then, instead of burrowing down deep like most animals do, instead of going to the bottom of ponds or digging deep holes to survive, the wood frogs in Canada and Alaska just sit there, perhaps under some leaves, but they just sit there on the surface and allow the snow to just cover them. And temperatures regularly get to negative 50 degrees Fahrenheit. And they freeze solid, completely solid. I read this week that if you picked one up, you would think you were holding a stone that was carved into the shape of a frog. There is no muscle movement, there is no heartbeat, there is no breathing. For the entire winter, the wood frog just sits there completely still and frozen in the cold. And they can survive like this for up to eight months. They do this for a few reasons. But the most important reason is it's a strategy that that allows the wood frog 
to be more active quickly in the spring. When the first warm day comes, the wood frogs thaw out before the rest of the the animals that are down deep. And they come out first, and they get their spring started early. I'm actually told that they gather together and sing. This is an Advent story, people. (laughs) This is Advent. This is one of the many amazing strategies that's found in nature of surviving these long, dark, cold winters. Advent is a strategy. It's a strategy for the follower of Christ to acknowledge seasons of darkness, seasons that lack warmth. Whether it's the painted turtle, the wood frog, or a hibernating bear, it seems to be pretty clear in nature that there are seasons that are made for waiting, seasons that are made for stillness. Advent is the church's season for stillness, for waiting. It's our season to acknowledge evil and darkness in the world. It's our season to acknowledge that the cold surrounds us and to be still and wait. One of the strategies that has been developed during Advent is to assign themes to the four weeks that occur in Advent. Do you know what they are? Some of you are thinking the four themes. I think there's maybe joy might be one of them. Most most Christians who come to churches a lot and hear Advent readings might come up with a few of them. They might say things like hope, peace, joy, and love. Really astute observers in worship will notice there are banners in our sanctuary that have those words on them. And they've actually been rotating each week to be up here. Thank you, Shannon. These are the four themes of Advent, but really these are the modern themes that have been assigned to Advent. They are great themes, and I'm glad that we have them. But I'm guessing most of you aren't aware of what the original themes of Advent were. Actually, for most of the church's history, the major themes of Advent are what we call the four last things. You ready? Death, judgment, heaven, and then the week right before Christmas, hell. And very liturgical churches will use those as their themes for the weeks leading up to Christmas. I'm guessing the choir's not focusing a lot on hell next week. (laughs) But this is why if you look in the lectionary which prescribes scriptures for churches, you'll see a lot of the prophets throughout Advent. Because the prophets come to speak about these last things. The prophets come to pronounce judgment on God's people on behalf of God. It's also why John the Baptist is usually the main character during Advent. It's not just because he's pointing people to the manger. It's because he's pointing people towards repentance. He's warning people about coming judgment. 
I'm convinced that the modern churches lose something when we jump straight to the uplifting and happy themes such as hope, peace, joy, and love without also acknowledging some of the gloomier themes such as death and judgment. And I get it. Who wouldn't rather focus on joy over judgment? But actually, I want to suggest to us here today that the prophet Zephaniah teaches us, strangely enough, that joy and judgment go together. That these two themes are very closely connected. There are only three chapters in the book of Zephaniah. Allow me to give you just a quick overview by highlighting a few of these passages. Feel free to use your pew Bibles if you want to follow along a little bit. Good luck finding the book of Zephaniah. <laughs> it's towards the end of the Old Testament. Hear these words from Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the very beginning of the book. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of King Josiah, son of Ammon of Judah. Here's the beginning of the prophecy. The word that came to, to Zephaniah. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, says the Lord. I will sweep away humans and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. I will make the wicked stumble. I will cut off humanity from the face of the earth, says the Lord. Whew. That's some heavy stuff. That's dark. At first glance, this is merely a depressing list of the ways in which God's wrath is going to pour out upon the earth. But as is often the case, if we dig a little bit deeper, there's a little more going on. Listen to those things that I just said will be destroyed. Here's a list of what God declares he will destroy. Humans and animals, birds of the air, fish of the sea. These are the same categories that are listed somewhere else in the Bible. Anybody catch it? Genesis chapter 1. It's days 4, 5, and 6 of the creation story, but in the reverse order. Genesis 1 is more than just an account of how the world was made. It teaches us about a God who gives order to his good creation. When God first created, we're told that the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep. It was disorderly and chaotic. But God gives form to his creation and he fills it. He brings order out of the chaos. And now in Zephaniah, due to their sin, God is saying he's going to undo that and send the world back into disorder and chaos. Chapter 1 of Zephaniah is all about how God is going to pronounce judgment, but specifically focused on Jerusalem, the center of worship for his people. God is pronouncing judgment on his people for their sinful idol worship. And here is one reason why this is such a good book to read during Advent. Because this chapter is dark. 
It calls out sin and acknowledges corruption. But then, at the beginning of chapter 2, there's a little glimmer of hope in the first few verses of chapter 2. I love the line from O Holy Night. It's a Christmas song, but there's a line in it that's very Advent. It says this, A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. The world is weary. There's darkness and corruption surrounding us and within us. Yet, there's a thrill of hope. Chapter 2 of Zephaniah starts off with this thrill of hope. The Lord is begging a remnant from His people to be humble and to seek Him. And then after this glimmer of hope, it's bam, back to judgment. (laughs) But this time, not just on Jerusalem, not just on God's people. Now the judgment comes on the surrounding nations as well. And this all climaxes in chapter 3 when the Lord says this, Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord. Another Advent theme of waiting. For the day when I arise as a witness, for my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all the heat of my anger. For in the fire of my passion, all the earth shall be consumed. The theme of this book so far is that God is rooting out evil. The evil surrounding God's people and the evil within God's people. He's rooting out that evil and dealing with it. And this is judgment. This is what judgment is. A rooting out of evil. Now, the easy way to deal with this is just to point to those evil people over there. I'm not pointing at Phil or anybody sitting in that section. I could point either way. Fill in the blank. The easy way to deal with God's judgment is to point to whoever those people are. But a big lesson from Zephaniah, and this is an Advent message, it's that God wants to deal with the evil that surrounds us, but He also wants to deal with the evil within us. And none is exempt. If the Holy Spirit searches our hearts, there is evil to be found. We pray this every month when we do our communion liturgy. We confess that we have failed to be an obedient church. We have failed to hear the cry of the needy. We failed to love you, God, with our whole hearts. We acknowledge that there is evil within Alexander Solzhenitsyn experienced his fair share of evil at the hands of Stalin and Russian oppression. The way he talks about this judgment, this rooting out of evil, is quite amazing. Listen to what he has to say in his incredible book, The Gulag Archipelago. If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds. 
and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? The line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. Oh, I wish it was so simple to say the line between good and evil is between us and them, whoever they are. But that's not where it goes. The line goes through our own hearts. And this is Zephaniah. God wants to come and judge his people. Not just the others, but Jerusalem itself. He doesn't just want to judge the nations. He comes to judge the evil within his people. He comes to look within us in our very hearts and root out the parts that have been corrupted by sin. This is the message of Zephaniah. Judgment, judgment, judgment. Little glimmer of hope. Judgment, judgment, judgment. And then, bang. We come to the section that I read at the beginning in Zephaniah chapter 3. The NRSV, which I read, labels that section as a song of joy. It seems so out of place. It seems like joy that really doesn't make any sense. After all this judgment being pronounced on Zephaniah, he commands the people, Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. It seems so out of place. But the reality is that judgment and joy go hand in hand. Because God's judgment is always for our good. And even though the rooting out of evil within us could be quite painful, ultimately, it will leave us rejoicing. But this is why we need real Advent. This is why we can't just skip to the manger. Before we do that, we have to acknowledge the darkness into which the light has come. We celebrate Christmas at the winter solstice. It's when things are darkest that the light appears. As we finish out this season of Advent, as we continue to walk in this darkest season of the year, as we continue to wait, take some time to be as still as a Canadian wood frog. Allow God to look within and do the hard work of judging us. And trust that soon enough, the darkness will end. The light of the world will come. And we will gather here in this place and together, we will sing. We will sing joy to the world. Would you pray with me? 
God, as painful as it might be at times, we thank you for your righteous judgment on us. We don't just point to our neighbors or the nations. We acknowledge that your judgment comes upon us as well. And you desire to root out the evil surrounding us and the evil within us. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit and do just that. Reveal to us places where we have failed to love you with our whole hearts. And change us, Lord. Shine light into the darkness. Make us new. So that we can sing our songs of joy. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.